following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment. We will be reviewing an article on AI and therapy and discussing possible implications for future use. Today on Drinks and Shrinks. Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. My name is Ingo Weigold. I'm John Deku. And today, John, we have an interesting topic that I think um, is taking the world by storm. Mm -hmm. AI. Yeah. And how it, I guess, intersects with therapy. Mm -hmm. Right? Before we get into all that, like, by the time this show comes out, it'll be April. Spring has sprung. Have you sprung, John? Are, are, you, are you pumped about the weather changes coming ahead? I'm, I'm a buried flower. I'm going to come out at some point, but when you do, I'm going to be ready. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let you decode what that means because uh, I have no idea myself. Wow. So many things I could say. So, so life is all right? Things no, are good? Yeah, things are doing well. It's a particularly warm day. It's kind of nice here. And I'm really I've, I've been passionate about actually AI for a long time. And over these last few months, it's taken many leaps where it's now like one of the hottest subjects and is searched a lot. And so that's honestly, it's what I've been thinking about. It's what I read about. It's what I play with in my free time. So it's just really cool to be talking about it here too. How have you been doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm uh, pumped about the weather change and uh, looking forward to warmer days, much like today. Um, and I have to say, I am not as pumped about this AI situation as you are, mm. because um, I have seen the Terminator series. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that this is that far off from what was happening in those movies. Like, it's a little, it's a little um, exciting, but it's also quite scary, especially given what I know, like, MIT was work has been working on for quite some time with some of that like those robots those robots which have their ability to like do things that humans can do that mm -hmm. robots normally couldn't do before you know they can learn where they're going they can fall down and get back up again carry heavy things yeah yes and hopefully I don't know who's doing someone's yelling in the background <laughs> not sure what's happening they're so, really mad at our at your Terminator if comments. you heard that maybe it's a Terminator coming to get us it's the AI <laughs> so um. So yeah, I don't know. I have some mixed feelings, and I think this will make for a good show because I get the sense that we are somewhat on opposite ends of this. Yeah, so, I think that, it's fun, and that's okay. Yeah. So I'm older than you. Maybe that's my old man. Damn kids. Yes, Sonny. The youth is going to ruin us. Well, it doesn't help that you sit in a rocking chair when you do this. Good point. And, and you smoke just, my pipe. And you smoke your pipe, right? And uh, yeah, and your the question is, what's in my pipe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. And uh, whatever it is, it's turned your hair ghastly white you have all white i'm kidding no you don't I look like albert einstein he does not have white hair he does not sit in a I rocking don't. chair i'm peppered salt and pepper getting mm. older um that's wiser though i don't know about that so all right do you want to talk about this art so this is based off of an article right so you want to you shared this with me a couple days ago and, and i i think it's very interesting so go, go ahead do, do you actually want to start off because i'll kind of chime in um as we go. i probably have other ideas from the article too but what what are some things that you've taken away from the article 
Well, the article is titled, this is... Uh, it's in, a little old now, too. Yeah, it's from a couple years old, and I found some stuff that's a little newer, just, just from as, a, as recently as a month ago, um, as well, to kind of offer some perspective. But the title is, The Therapist Using AI to Make Therapy Better. And this was from December 6, 2021, uh, in the MIT Technology Review. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about some positives. Um, so there was this article, kind of what it, what it, I took away from it was that if people start to utilize this type of a function to work on their mental health, which likely would be happening from home, perhaps, right? There would be some way that just like doctors can track like cures for certain things in a database that somewhere, somehow people could track like what works um, for certain types of illnesses and have some sort of a, other than like somebody telling us like mm-hmm. there would be a chat transcript that mm-hmm. some, some, someone much smarter than me could figure out a way to like parse out data points and say like for someone with depression, like this intervention works and here's how, and look at all the correlations between different ways that people, this program has interfaced. So I thought that was good. Yeah. Um, well, the, what the, the article reviewed, and this is from the MIT, what is it called? MIT, Te- MIT technology review, technology review. Yeah. yeah. And they're interviewing and talking about, um, a particular person who really suffered from PTSD. Yeah. Who got, I think help from this AI service. Right. And but, he had suffered for 15 years. That's gosh, a long time. Yeah. And it sounds like it was a pretty horrible event. Um, but what this company is doing is they developed something. I think that it's called, was it listen L Y S S N. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Listen, yes, um, that sounds right. And this, this, um, intelligence is supposed to, uh, it's taken, you know, what you and I did, or at least I think, you did i definitely did in grad school which is you record your sessions and then you transcribe them did you ever have to do that i did not have to do that yeah it sucks where you write them out and then you like what i had to do a couple of times is you had to write them out and then write every reason why you said what you said um like so even like sounds like torture it, it was torture but it actually made me a better clinician because it made me think like am i just like farting here or am i actually saying something that's valuable and then my teachers i mean they wouldn't like scrutinize everything but if i had a role where i'm just kind of like you know shooting the breeze and not really getting to something or i'm doing a technique poorly they could comment on it if i was saying this is the reason i was doing the technique so what this program can do is you and i we can review this kind of thing in these transcripts but then what the re- what the um artificial intelligence can do is it can review tens of thousands of transcripts and then it could then correlate those to out um to uh client satisfaction so we could say which therapists have the highest amount of satisfaction Mm -hmm. i'm sorry which clients have the highest amount of satisfaction and then look at those therapy sessions and say what do they have in common what do they get right what are they not getting right now i think this article was talking a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy it was well because you know that's the only therapy that yeah. ever works. <laughs> well, I think it it, it it lends itself very well to this because it's, it, it can be very regimented. And mm. I don't want to say it's not easy, but it can be simple in the se- sense that you can just go from this step to that step to that step. And right. there's a lot of research for it. Yep. And so then the models could then coach 
they could go through our session. So we could have a computer sitting on a desk listening to our session and then we could it could analyze how our session goes and then give us feedback as to ways to improve it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was interesting because one of the questions I even brought up there is like, well, what actually makes therapy work? I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that. Well, and this is where I divert from this because I, I struggle with this concept of having a text exchange with someone and being able to... I think the sauce in therapy and why it works is because two people or multiple people, for example, in groups or couples or family or whatever, mm-hmm. they sit in a room together and there's an energy exchange that happens and then the, there, there's a human element to it that this will never ever, in a, I don't care how advanced this gets. Really? I, I don't think that the human element can, because this is a, it's a it's AI, it's a program. You could fake it maybe, you know, like um, in some sense. But I think the energy, like us two right now sitting in a room together, like even if we were to do this via Zoom, it's not the same. It's not, but the question is, could it be effective or as effective? I'm not saying it couldn't be effective. I just don't think it's as effective. And and it's also, like my worry is, is that this changes even, because I have my own thoughts about like how the world communicates now via text and all this, and there's a lot less face-to-face time. I wonder what kind of damage that's doing to people's ability to navigate environments. Like, you know, so can it be effective? I'm sure it can, but can it be as effective as two people? I don't think so. Well, the what's interesting is like in AI, they, they've already made technology where it could speak and convince people that it's a human. Yes. And then they've, already, they've now made technology where they could create a face and just make it like a talk on a screen. Mm-hmm. So the only difference is it's not a warm body there, but, and you're right, like there would be, uh, you're using the word energy, which I'm curious to hear more about, but I think the benefit to it is it wouldn't follow all the biases that we have of like, even last time we talked about parental alienation. Many therapists don't know about parental alienation. And so it would be able to have a much larger database to be aware of something like that. Mm-hmm. There's also errors that, if we've made, if you and I have made a mistake before, we're much more likely to repeat that mistake and not yeah. learn from mistakes as easily that AI just wouldn't do too. Mm-hmm. So the question is, would that outweigh the benefits? Would the would the you know would being virtual have these benefits that are greater than that of being in person? I don't know. In my in my professional experience, virtual is not not as effective. That's because we're dealing with like and like like the crappiest version of it possible, <laughs> right? We're, we're talking here about like things that are way smarter and can go through hundreds of thousands of sessions and, and research and find what works mm-hmm. and then sit there and coach us or, I mean, theoretically, be a therapist to someone. Now, I don't That's think- the part that scares me is like you have mach- a machine uh, using, like, I don't know. Like, I, I think... I think the part that worries me is with humans that there's still a sense of self-preservation in us. That's part of like why our race, you know, continues to, um, our species, I should say, continues to, you know, have babies and things because we want to survive. We want to have children. Like, so I think there's that element of that between two people where a computer program might not have that. So I just worry, like there's something about it that just scares the crap out of me in that sense. Like there's this like intelligent thing that knows everything, but it has no feelings. So how does that work? 
mm-hmm. when, when our business is feelings. Mm-hmm. So explain that to me. Well, I mean, it's just an interesting hypothesis, and you might be onto something. I don't know, but like it reminds me of what people said about telephones a hundred years ago. What did they is, say? Which is like it's going to get people distant from one another, and it's going to hurt our society. Mm-hmm. And it's like what it really did is it just made it easier for people to communicate. And now we're used to it. We don't ever question like, no, is it a full replacement for sitting in a room with someone? No, but is it a great tool that we use too? Yeah, of course. You know, or like even like the um, the ability to record like off the radio or like TV, like on a VCR or a yeah. tape. They said that that was going to ruin the music industry because nobody would buy albums anymore. Well, it kind of did, though. Well, it did. No one buys albums anymore. Nobody buys albums because they don't have CD players, right? They yeah, but even on like it, it, it went over to like iTunes for a while, and people were now it's all about the single, you know. Well, it's and about streaming. Stream. No one even buys singles anymore because it's all about Spotify or you know Apple Music, whatever. But they pay for streaming, so the money they has do. gone in a different direction. It doesn't go to the artist though. Not not as easily. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, you get like zero. Yeah, it's almost nothing. Yeah, I agree, and it has affected, but it hasn't made it obsolete for, for musicians to produce music. Like no, it's harder. I mean, they're still doing their thing. Yeah, but hmm. so it's. I mean, I think that one perspective is like, this is going to ruin the world, and another perspective is like, how do we use this as a tool that can help us? Like, we use Spotify to help us listen to music. We use telephones to help us communicate. But none of those are as good as like being next to somebody who's actually playing guitar, or um, what's the other? I already lost track of the other example I was using here. But it's not be going to fully replace, as far as I know. But and there's a whole question as to like we're already seeing that it's very possible that many jobs become obsolete as AI sure. improves, um, which is a whole other thing about like the economics <coughs> of what are we going to do instead of working, you know? But that's a question ahead of i, I mean I, ju- I just became a therapist a few years ago now <laughs> yeah. i have to change my jobs because yeah. it's stupid ai I, no, I think it's going to be a while but I'm, we're already yeah. we're already seeing that like attorneys can use this stuff to review like hundreds of pieces of paper and it could be like give me a summary of what just happened here or what did the plaintiff say at this point right and it could give you a better summary than having to pay an attorney for yeah. all that time you know no, I, I, I'm not saying there aren't benefits. I'm just saying our business is, is, are, is humans. Mm-hmm. And I think that it would be important to have humans helping other humans, like so, in this sense. To, to back to your point, you said that there's a sense of energy. Like, I'm curious, like, how do we distill what you're saying? I have no idea. Yeah. I, just, I can just tell you, I can tell you for me personally, working, one on, working in a room with people is way different than working with them over the internet for sure. or on the telephone. Um, and there is almost, I would say that there is a sense of like having 3d versus 2d, mm-hmm. like 2d would be the internet or a phone, right? <coughs> 3d would be in person. And there's, there's, there are th- variables and factors that I, I can just feel them. And I don't think an AI can feel that. I think an AI is pulling from many data points and it can create the illusion of feeling something, but it doesn't feel anything. As far as I'm aware, they haven't figured out of it. There's no feelings. No, it's just a lot of information and a lot of references. And this thing is like doing whatever based on, it creates the illusion of having feelings or whatever in a sense, like it, it, but it doesn't actually have feelings. Well, does it need to have feelings? I think it does. Hmm. Cause it couldn't portray empathy. No. Hmm. 
So empathy is like feeling what someone is feeling, right? Well, empathy is showing someone that you understand their feelings and that you're right. feeling it too. But right. It's not just you feeling it. You have to so give how does it a, back. So how does a computer do that? You could say, I see you're feeling very sad. My gosh, it must be horrible. Right? Could it not say those things? If it said it like that, I would not believe it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's say it was better actor than me. Huh? Right? Could it? Could it? Is that not uh, possible? I don't know because I, I think it's not. I think it isn't. And Why? I'm and I'm not saying that it would doesn't mean that therapy with an AI can't be effective. I'm just saying that there's an element missing. So I don't know how. But I don't, I don't know how big of a factor that if you speak to like person-centered therapy, that's like all the only element that's important. And there's plenty of evidence to say that just sitting in a room with someone and listening that is like 99% of why therapy is effective. Right. You know? So can we duplicate that with a computer? Maybe you could. I, I don't know. Uh, these things are getting really smart and really, sure really good. Because what the, I mean, let, let, just to back up, what we're, we're kind of vacillating between this, this program that this company developed and this article yeah. in ChatGPT, which ChatGPT is just a, is, it stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformers, mm -hmm. and it's used to make predictive text to make it sound like there's human-like communication. Yeah. So it isn't as though there's a thinker behind it. It's essentially like, you know how you have the predictive text on your phone? Mm -hmm. As far as I understand, it's just like that times a million and extremely, extremely good at it and sounding more human-like. And the thought is like what it could be used in this article again is I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. When I said this earlier, you were kind of um, maybe wincing at if it listened to us and analyzed our sessions and then we went over that with like our supervisors or with our colleagues, would you be willing to undergo the benefits and consequences of that? You mean if the AI was to transcribe and then rate the session or something on some weird criteria? Yeah, feedback, would... yeah. I mean, I think feedback's good. Hmm. But I don't know. Like, I don't know if... I, I failed to see what would I would benefit from that versus just talking to a supervisor about things I'm struggling with, you know? Variety of biases, and they can't critique all the words you say. They just... Because what we typically do in supervision is we go in and we summarize a session, but it's biased from our perspective. Of course. Right? And so and this would be a much more objective way of looking at that. Mm. It could theoretically sharpen us faster. Theoretically. I think it could also make all of us very uncomfortable that we're being scrutinized in this kind of well, way. Well, I think it depends how you approach therapy, too, because some people are very... Um, calculated and or um theoretical in their approach right and then others are more i don't know how you call it like they're in the moment you know and they're just kind of of course we we all have theory and training but some people are more like they're just kind of driving the car and they're seeing what happens you know and then others are very like theoretical so i could see for therapists who are a lot more theoretical this could be a huge benefit in like for example let's say you were becoming an Here's where I could see it. Like, say you were training to become an EFT therapist, emotionally mm -hmm. focused, right? There's a step-by-step -step process that this involves, like all these, there's the way the sessions are structured, all of it, right? So like, this could help you in that, in the sense like, are you doing the things that an EFT therapist is supposed to be doing? And if so, why, what happened here? Like you, you, do, you, you straight off course in this part of the session and like looking at that. So then I could see how that would be a benefit. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't know. I just feel like this more constricting in that case too. Mm -hmm. So, 
Well, let me, if I could walk it back a little bit, why would someone want to be an EFT therapist? Because they're trying to approach therapy from, I mean, why would they, I don't know, because they, they uh, I guess, identify with that theory as part of like how they want to do therapy with clients. Why would someone want to do that? Because they like it and they think it's effective. I think the, the word effective is yeah. what's important, right? It's because that there seems to be research that says this is an effective thing to do yes. to help people. And then what AI could do is to say, how do we make you more effective? Now, I personally would think like the firing from the hip kind of approach is, I'm not saying you have to be rigid because as we may talk about, there's many factors that make counseling work that are not how strictly are you following a theory but I also think that we have to, whatever we speak, we have to have some knowledge base from which we're pulling from. Of course. Or else otherwise we're having just these biases. And that's what I think, as you say, training for DBT, CBT, EFT, whatever it might be, all these things are there to try to coach us to go more in the direction of what that model provides because that model has shown to be effective with people. Mm-hmm. As, and, but we don't know much about the shooting from the hip approach, you know? And in fact, that's usually used as the counterpoint in research is to say just generalized talk therapy versus more constrained types of therapy. And then what they do is they say, ah, EFT was more effective than this other approach here. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think this could work for like psychodynamic therapy? I mean, there has to be principles to psychodynamic for which people to say they're doing psychodynamic therapy. So then the AI could then analyze mm. how much, how close are you to those principles? But here's the thing, like for that particular approach, like a lot of it, a lot of what, the reason why it works is because the therapist builds awareness of the countertransference that's happening and uses it as a tool to like help the client. And there's this exchange in the moment that's mm-hmm. happening, right? Yeah. So how, how could a computer do that? That's, that's where I struggle. And maybe I'm biased because that's where I like to be in, in that space when I'm, when I'm working. So I'm like, how, how would a computer do what I do in that sense? Because it has no feeling. So how, does it, how's it going to have countertransference, a computer? Like, I don't... Yeah, I mean, well, we're, we're talking about both uh, AI as a therapist, but I think the more reasonable thing would be AI as a tool, right? And okay. so if we were to say AI as a tool, could it find some way of analyzing countertransference? So what you'd have to do is mm-hmm. you have to train it to say, what do you look for and what does countertransference look like as possible examples? And let's say that there's like hundreds of thousands of data points that you give it. Yeah. Could it start to veer itself in the <clears throat> direction of saying, I think there's countertransference here? Well, I wonder if uh, AI would have con- <clears throat> ultra countertransference because it learns like maybe the terms that people use or the... The, the, the pictures they paint with their stories and finds an example for every single thing a client ever says is there could be, this is the counter-transference and just uses it. And it'd be like a never-ending loop of counter-transference. Yeah, and that would be the wrong way of doing it. Yes. Right, and that's where it'd be broken. And I, I think we're not, we're not there yet, but like what this is is essentially we've, we've made electricity, we just haven't made a light bulb yet. And it's like we, we don't have yeah. the particular thing that allows us to do what we're talking about, but we're getting really close. Um, where we might have the ability to have things analyze our conversations or um, 
allow us to kind of ask it questions more easily too. But I think it's a, it's a really interesting person. I think it's a really interesting thing to say, like we can stop this, but like, let's be honest, progress always. We're not going to stop it. No. But I, I also worry this opens up the potential for lawsuits and legal ramifications, because if you have a, if you have something tracking sessions, what's to prevent like lawyers, judges, well, not judges, but maybe lawyers from subpoenaing those records or um, insurance companies from looking at the way you, you, like we already have enough pressure on us like when it comes to that and like, oh, well, how do you justify, you know, the extra 10 sessions with, let me see the transcripts. What were you guys doing? Oh, you were talking about Joe's like ice cream party with his friends and yeah. there was not a single thing of like, you know, so it's like, I worry about that a yeah. little bit. That like end only of it. give us a score of 40 out of a hundred for yeah. CBT skills. Right. One or whatever. And it's like, we're not paying for that. You know, yeah. your score has to be over 70 in order to get paid. Right. right. Now we're in that space and that scares me too. So well, one of the, if I, I want to pivot a little bit too, because one of the things that this article talked about br- very briefly is what works in therapy. And this is, I think, um, I shared this on the podcast before, but I'm really passionate about this too because when I graduated, I was pretty anxious mm-hmm. because everything I was taught in graduate school did not resonate with what I've learned since then. I've learned that it's about listening and empathy mm-hmm. and reflecting and active listening and all the things that we talk about in this podcast a lot. But then when I graduated, only things I find are you got to get better at cognitive behavioral approaches, dialectical behavioral approaches, other things that are similar to like that. And these are the quote unquote research base. So for many years, I was actually quite anxious until I found this book that I'm holding right here, which is Psychotherapy Relationships That Work by John Norcross. And he is a psychologist and he did research in the early 2000s with what's called an APA task force, which sounds like they're going to be like breaking down doors. Busting it down. Yeah. Um, and what John Norcross found is that, uh, I think it was, so it appears to be about 40% of a client's change is called is extra therapeutic factors, meaning they got a job, they got a relationship, whatever it might be. It's nothing really to do with what we think. of it was placebo, just to say, I go into it, and I thought I'd feel better, and so I did. now I do. (laughs) 15% was technique. So CBT, DBT, EFT, LMNLP, all these different things are, I just made up that last one. Maybe the (laughs) listener did that. What the hell is that? Yeah. It's 15% of client success is technique, which that, just to let that sink in for a minute, like that doesn't make that big of a difference. It's not even half of how helpful, like finding a healthy relationship or making friends. But 30% is due to what's called common factors. Common factors are things like empathy, warmth, acceptance, encouragement of risk taking, client and therapist characteristics, confidentiality, the therapeutic relationship, rapport, things like that. Mm. That seems to have a about twice as large of an effect as the actual technique. Hmm. So let me see, what are your thoughts on that? I think that kind of makes my point, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that, well, and which, which also speaks to the fact where there's so many therapists out there doing so many different approaches and also being effective with many different 
like techniques and styles. Exactly. And the reason being is like they're all warm. Yes. Like empathy is important because what research is going to be done out there where you say we're going to we're going to have one person be warm and one person be rude mm-hmm. or not warm or one person be empathic and another one be really unempathic. Right. Of course the research is going to bias that because we know that's important. But then when we do research with all these different theories, we're not including factors like empathy and warmth and relationship mm-hmm. and rapport and things like that. And so it really, I think, skews the data to make it mm-hmm. seem much more difficult to actually understand what is working here. So my beef with the article that we have here is I think it could be extremely interesting to see how therapy can be analyzed. But if it's only to say, are you doing a good enough job in this intervention style, you're probably not getting the maximum usage out of what's really important. Mm -hmm. Because the therapy style of cognitive behavioral therapy that they're talking about in here is only 15% of what makes it work. Yes. But could AI, I think it will, could AI or will AI analyze empathy and rapport and things like that. You know, and if it could do that, I would say that's going to make therapists much better. Well, here's I just had a weird thought. So, if a Nigerian scammer can can get someone to believe their story, right? And I don't I shouldn't have said Nigerian cuz I'm not trying to single them out, but that's like That's the hit antiquated, yeah. Yeah, example, right. So that's right. the stereotype. So like if a scammer, a, what do you call them? Catfishers, is that mm-hmm. what they call them? Like if they're able to to elicit a reaction out of someone that's willing that they're they'd be willing to give like their entire life savings to this person right through words many usually these people have never spoken in like phone or, or anything mm-hmm. it's all words so you, I'm, I'm i'm wondering like if they can do that i wonder if ai could also do the same thing with words even though it doesn't feel anything like could it pull at a person a, a, could could an ai like pull at a client's heartstrings enough to make it make that person feel as though this thing cares about them absolutely i think absolutely i think it could right and that's why i was kind of challenging you on like what is the energy because like i think what you're saying is like could it be convincing that it feels like someone cares there and i think yeah sure you can you could fool someone in that way yeah but it's just still i go back to this like life force you know that we have that a computer doesn't have and i don't i can't I can't. They tried well, to measure the soul, and I think they did measure it somehow well, at some depends point. Depends on if you believe in souls. Well, whatever. Like so yeah. I think in, with if if you even take this whole concept of energy created, destroyed, right? When we die, that has to go somewhere, right? This energy within us. And what is that? Like, think about this. Like, if we were to clone you right now, right, and put the clone, it, that person would not be John. It might, might look like you. Yeah, that's a big statement. There's you know, a lot of arguments that say it might be me or it might not be me. Well, I don't. I think I think you couldn't. Uh, you know, even with like twins, it's not the same. Like physically, they might look identical, right? But two totally different people. So it's like. Well, the question is, what is it that makes it a person continuous? Right, and what you're saying is it's not their body. No, because it sure. expires. But then, like, if you were to put me quote unquote, my personality in a machine, mm-hmm. 
and then you were to be like, well, that body that was John's, that's not John. He's actually in this thing. He's in this box over here. But then you could start tweaking that. And then at what point does that not become me too? I don't know. That's well, a good question. These are things that philosophers talk about. Is it's like I don't think you can just say that like, well, if you make another one of you, that's not the same. Or it's like there's like I don't know if you heard about the Star Trek teleporter experiment, which is like this idea that in Star Trek, I think it was I don't know if it was the creator or someone had said that what happens when they use teleporters is you go in there, your atoms are torn apart. Like Wonka vision? Yeah, like Wonka vision. <laughs> okay. And then it puts it back together. So the person before died, yeah. and there's a new version of you, but has all the same memories, all the same opinions, uh -huh. the same body, the same all those things. Is that the same person or not? I don't know. These are really hard questions. Has anyone ever been teleported before? No, it's oh. not an actual, it's a thought experiment. You oh, know? I see. I was going to say, of like, they're teleporting people no, now? Like, no. that's it. I, I... <laughs> but like, your, your question of like, where do I exist and where do I end is a very complex one. And you have to then say, so what is it that makes me, me? And when is that, if that continues, then that's the version of me that I would call me. But like, you cut off my pinky, I'm still John. If you take out my passion for psychology and music and philosophy, am I still John? I don't know. It gets murky. So could that be replicated in a machine? I personally don't see why not. Because whatever it is we're labeling as the continuous part of me can be created through AI. But you're saying a soul or energy. And I think until we can better understand what that is, I think it's hard to defend that perspective personally. What are you thinking? Um, I was thinking about while you're talking where feelings come from. Like, are feelings actually energy or are they fueled by cognitions in a sense? Where like, I'm trying to bridge the gap of what I said earlier in the episode into what you're, you're in the space we're in right now. Where it's like, are my feelings coming from this other place let's imagine it's a bucket like the brain is in one bucket and then the feelings are from a different bucket mm -hmm. like is that really true where the feelings bubble up and they have their own like source that they come from or are my feelings really uh, caused by my thoughts i think cognitive theory would say it's caused by your thoughts well if we were to suppose that that's true then we could say that ai which is all thoughts mm -hmm based on information pulled from all over the place, could technically have feelings mm -hmm. that would be similar to a human because it could f fake the feelings b because it knows these thoughts lead to these feelings. So then... And this conveys this feeling. Because yeah. like at the end of the day, how do you know that I'm not a robot? Like well, I've, I, my theory is already, I think okay. you are. I, I, I firmly believe what's happening here is in about 50 <laughs> years from now, you're going to be the the head and it's going to be John running everything. And it's going to be like, oh, humans. I've already been there, yeah, like in 2023. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. Really like 200,000 200, years old or something. Yeah. You saw Jesus, didn't you? I, I plead the fifth on that, yeah. Um, but it's like, really at the end of the day, like when you go up to someone, this is, uh, you know, philosophical zombies is what they call this, which is like, when I talk to someone, how do I know that they're not a zombie or a robot? Which, like, just because you cut them open and they bleed could just mean that the robot was programmed to bleed. Mm. But really what it is is, like, you sit with someone and you don't actually know. You just kind of, based on the interaction, can feel more and more convinced. But this, the, you know, there are things called Turing tests and things like that, which are tests to say, like, could you convince a human 
through a robot's, through an AI's dialogue that it is a human. And if it could pass that, if it could do it for lots of people convincingly, then that starts to look like emotion, in my yeah, opinion. Now, sense. it's not actually having emotions, but it's conveying words in a way that looks like emotions. And you talking to me, you don't actually know what I'm feeling because there's no way for you to know. You just go based on my tone of voice, on my affect, mm. on the words that I choose. And you could say, well, John is a robot, you know, which is <laughs> actually not the first time someone has said that too. Um, but So my perception of your feelings are based on my own version of reality and what the, the data points I'm getting from my environment, which you being part of exactly. that environment. Exactly, okay. right. Right, and then so the, really, it's not your feelings I'm feeling; it's mine. Well, it's your perception of what you think I'm feeling, Interesting. based on like. And if we think about it, like being trained as therapists, like we have to assess for these things all the time. Like we question someone's affect. What would an anxious affect look like? I mean, you know, typical sweating, sweating, chatty, buzzing, fidgety. You know, right? You know, nervousness. So we're not feeling those emotions. We're assessing them based on things that we can observe from them. Uh, I don't know if I buy that because there's been many times where someone walks in the door and on the surface they're fine, but I start feeling really weird all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And then it comes out later in the session that they're super anxious or something. And I, I've, I've picked up on that. Like, you picked up on what? I don't know. Their anxiety. But how are they expressing it? I have no idea. Right. I would say that there's maybe you've certainly had people who come in who are amazing actors and they have been really anxious and you didn't even know because whatever signals they would give to you showing that they are really uncomfortable, they are able to hide it. Yeah. So I think, I think to our point, like yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of someone I had in here a while ago that was just a sweaty mess by the time we were, I'm talking like drenched Oh. and I felt so bad because they were so anxious. Mm -hmm. It was just, but that would be an obvious sign, you know? But, right. but then how do you explain that? How do you explain someone walks in the door and I'm having a great day and all of a sudden I feel super anxious and, and weird and I'm tending to my emotions and I'm figuring out that this person's hiding anxiety, right? And they really are a bundle of anxiousness underneath. So what's that? How do I know that? Because they're not giving me any clues. Well, they're not giving you any clues that you know of. You could subconsciously be interpreting like their eye movement or their dilation of their pupils or the way that they move their what leg. About their energy? Again, I'm able to describe what's going on. You're saying energy, and I don't think you can describe what actually is going on. You're using the word energy, you're using the word soul, but when we try to break down more, like what do you actually mean by that? Honestly, you just kind of shrug your shoulders. I just feel it, though, so I don't know. Yeah, I can't put words to it. I mean, it could be pheromones for all we know. It could be like that we eventually, I mean, there is research that shows that women during certain points of their ovulation period become more attractive to men. And it's probably because men are sucking up whatever pheromones they might give, or maybe pheromones isn't the right word, but you know, some kind of hormone or something that gives that off. Could that be it, right? And just because we don't know what it is doesn't mean it's not existing or just because it's very difficult to measure. Like I think people who have less training in psychology, they'll say things like, I can just feel that with someone. But then what you start to break down is like, well, how's their eye contact? How's their speech? Their word, um, word choice. Their, the way that they're moving, right? The, their gait. These are all things that start to say to me. You get detailed enough, and you can say, "Well, I felt this person was anxious because they did all of these things in a row." 
but then we could just say, well, there's something I felt and it wasn't quite any of those, so therefore it must be energy. I say we just don't have the right word for it yet. It's probably there. Mm. And if we sat together, we could say, well, why did you pick that up? If the you, right word isn't energy? I don't know. I'm not a big fan of energy and souls and things like I that see personally. That. I, I, I know this about you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, plus, because I, I think there's a better explanation personally. Mm. And I think we can't progress when we say soul or energy. But we can progress when we say, what was it about that person that made me uncomfortable? Was it because they have elevated tone? If we just discount it and say, well, they have different energy from us, let's say, I don't know how, what, we, what we take from that. Yeah. Hmm. What are you thinking? I don't know. I, I, I like the more romanticized version of this conversation. In, in a, and I think, I think some things don't need explaining. Explaining. So, and when you start to overanalyze things, it loses some of its flavor. For sure. So that, that's my concern. It's like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like a great piece of art makes you feel a certain way and affects you in some way. But if you were to go and dissect every little detail of how the brush strokes and whatever, if say it's a painting, you know, you could do that. But I, I argue that that painter was not thinking about that when they were doing that. They were using the skills that they have developed and connecting it with an emotion or of something they were trying to portray. Mm -hmm. So the scaffolding was the skills, but the actual art came from their ability to like not be able to explain what just happened. Like, you know what I mean? Definitely. And I mean, people have tried to analyze art in such a way, but it never does it right because art is greater than the sum of its parts. Yes. And no matter how many times you say that brush stroke plus that brush stroke plus that pigment is not going to equal beauty necessarily. No. Um, however, like AI is making art. Some of it's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. I would say it's beautiful. You know, I would say some of it is beautiful. Sure. Is what I've seen. Um, but the difference, though, too, is like I would say counseling is greater than the sum of its parts. But we're also in a profession to help people. Unlike art, which is about expression and creativity, and there's really, I wouldn't say, like, not a goal of them to make the thing that you want to make to, or to convey to people. Like, we're paid by insurance companies to help people. And so but then we have to ask the question, how do you help people? Mm -hmm. Well, some things work and some things don't. Being rude to someone does not work. Having no. empathy does work, it does. right? So we can start to boil down parts of it, and I'm sure we can get crazy minute, with it and maybe that's going too far to ask yeah. you know but we can say in general there are things that we need to be thinking about because that's what separates us from having licenses from people who don't is we have training and we reflect on the research to say how do we actually help people now with art you can make something controversial and it doesn't really matter yeah because people have different opinions different takeaways but the purpose of our work is to help people and right. there are consistencies we can find in how we help people that makes sense Anything else you want to talk about regarding this? I do. I want to ask you, what are some other ways that you can think of as to how AI might help people in therapy? So we talked about one here being it could analyze our conversations and it could give us feedback. That's, that's this particular AI that this company has developed. Um, but other ones that they talked about would be to training to look at client's speech to see if they are becoming more self-reflective, like saying things like, I know I tried that last month and it didn't work for me, so I'll have to try this again differently. Like, 
AI can train to look for that, and that could be a source to say how successful counseling is. Mm -hmm. It could try to match up qualities between therapist and client. But past that, that's what this article talked about. I'm curious if you have other ideas as to what um, might make this something that could be used in psychology. Because I think in a year, we're going to start seeing people use some of these things. Uh, this is a great question. I mean, what else could you do with the AI? I, I think... What about like uh, crisis situations? Mm -hmm. Because a or AI would be 24-7 available. Mm. And if you could use this type of technology for someone who's suicidal, for example. Now, I don't know that, like, that's gray area. Then, like, you want a human... I mean, what happens if that person commits suicide and while talking to this AI, then what happens? Like, it, So it's like, but the av availability of said AI would be much greater than a human's availability, for example. Mm -hmm. um, well, it could maybe defer. Like you could talk to an AI for a little bit. Maybe, maybe let's say like half of people feel better and then the other half maybe then get like diverted towards like triage and other yeah. emergency counseling. I'm also wondering if it could, if this a therapist could use this as a way of maybe entering some data points I don't know how you derive at that to try to develop treatment modalities for certain types of clients. That's what I want. So does. it would it would be like, I don't I don't know the criteria. Whatever you know, you have like a list of things, you, questions you ask the client, and you put that into AI, and you say, what's the best treatment approach for someone with these symptoms, this background, X, Y, Z, um, and or clients could use this to find a therapist that would better align with their intended goals and things. That's a slippery yeah. slope because I'm like, I'm inevitably once a month, someone will call, do you do CBT? I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I can do CBT. Why do you want me? Well, I only want CBT. Well, how did you arrive at that? Well, I Googled it and <laughs> you know, it says that's the best. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, so you'd want to try to avoid that. But like, so I, I could see those are a couple examples. What about you? What do you I was thinking about it, and I, those are two of the ones I was thinking. One would be it could record our session and provide accurate notes. So, oh yeah, I, I don't yeah. know about you, like it could, like I ooh soap it. notes. Yeah, hit a button and it just does it. Exactly. I don't even have to do it. Right, it just records. Our I just session. I just review it. Well, it could be a soap note, and it could also be our personal notes on paper. Right, like if you say like, hmm, this person was assaulted. Right, you write that on, on a you know we off. I often have like a notepad with me. And I write that down. It could type that all what out. What about HIPAA though? Like confidentiality. You could go, hey, chat, GP, whatever. Um, give me a, a two-sentence summary of the session. Yeah. And then that would be amazing. I would, would save be. so much time. Yeah. But what about confidentiality? Well, at you'd, that ha point? You, you'd have to have, we're, that's where we're not there yet. Yeah. Right? It's like we just because we have the technology doesn't mean we have the actual thing that we could use. These are just speculative ideas. But yeah. you're right. Like we have to get past. HIPAA and all that <laughs> stuff. So note taking, um, I think another one would be analyzing risks and client language. So it could be like saying, oh, we've shown that when people say this type of thing, they're 70% more likely to think about suicide in the next three months, you know, things like that. Um, like you said, making good progress notes, that'd make it, because so, like, that's like a big thing we don't really talk about a lot, but we have lots of notes to do. We have Pain to, in the ass. and sometimes insurance companies hate us for it, and then we hate them for it, and blah blah blah. 
but this can make it just an effective one. It could also analyze the notes that we do do and look for mistakes. Um, we talked about how an AI could itself be a therapist. Uh, it could quickly analyze data or records. So sometimes you may have had people send you records from when they were working with a client or like a hospital when the person's discharged. AI could just go through the whole thing and just give us like, you could say, tell me a summary of this client's records. But that is actually something that is almost available now. Like Bing, that is incorporating GPT into their thing, is going oh, to soon be able to say, go over these 300 emails and give me a summary of what they say. Like, I don't see why we just couldn't make a HIPAA version of that. You probably uh, could, yeah. Compliant for this. It could screen client intakes, AI, that is. It could complete client intakes. So another thing that we have to do is... Um, not so much in our field, but in other er, in other parts of this field where we have, um, when I, at my last job working in community mental health, you have to go through a two-hour process of asking about symptoms and family history Jeez. and abuse history and medication and medication history and where have they lived. I think AI could do that way faster than us and could also compile a suggestive set of diagnoses or whatever it might be. Yeah, there's thousands of questions that we have to do with that too. It could also analyze the types of questions we ask and say, um, again, like this would be a right, like you said, the right approach. Um, you could also ask it, what might this type of therapist do? So you might say, who's the therapist that you admire, famous or otherwise? Okay, Who, who's uh, who's who's a famous therapist or Freud? Okay, so you, you can maybe ask it. Um, hey AI, look at my last ten sessions and give me a suggestion. What would Freud oh, do geez. here? <laughs> Probably light up a cigar and do some <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something it could do if yeah. it's trained on tens of thousands of sessions in a Freudian style. Then you could ask it to say how close, how, uh, how, how well did I do? Yeah, yeah. Or can you give me suggestions on what a treatment path would look like here? Um, you have quite the list. And marketing. That's the other one I thought of. Therapist marketing? Yeah, to say like, how do you market to the right people? How do you get yourself reached out to the right people? Oh, I see, okay. Because, you know, I have certain specialties that you may or may not have and vice versa. So, um, I, I just think there's a lot, and this is honestly the only limitation is our creativity, you know, is like how many things can you think of like this, mm -hmm. you know, and it's very, very promising. I feel like this is one of those things where they need to like test this like in the minor leagues for quite some time before we bring it up to the majors to see how, you know, and maybe it trickles in. But yeah, I, I, I mean, it's scary. It's, it's interesting. And I have a lot of skepticism about it, but at the same time, it's like, it's pretty cool that this is even possible. So. Super cool. And it's, it's gone from like, theoretical to it's it's starting it's to happen actually here yeah yeah and very very fast and that's why some people are growing very concerned with how fast it's going but i actually have something to comment on with, with guilty leisure so okay. what are you ready to move to guilty leisure? yeah let's do it what's your guilty leisure <laughs> well i talked about this show before uh some time ago um there's a show called love is blind on netflix mm. and there's a new season mm -hmm. um just released last friday so they have They've Netflix has started doing this with some of their shows. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I like Netflix because if I'm into something, I just watch it and then be done. So they they've staggered. I think the season is usually ten or twelve episodes. So they only let you. 
they release three at a time a week apart so they kind of keep you interested mm -hmm. so i highly recommend it it's it's been a good season so far there's been three episodes i don't know if you want some mindless interpersonal drama kind of the premise is, is they go in these pods and they don't ever they can't see each other and they start to develop relationships with the idea of like someone is going to try to is going to propose and there's like catfishing and stuff in there too like people lie to one another oh no no this is uh, all, all very genuine they're okay. all they're all looking but it, they're all looking for connections but i think some some people in the show it's very evident throughout like especially as a psychologist there's some pathological type possible personality disorders who knows like there's stuff going on where it's clear that some people are like i just want to be on tv mm. and other people are looking so it's like it creates this weird drama dynamic so yeah the season's been good so far i won't spoil it for you but if you if you want something cool to watch just study humans um and i think in some ways it shows that it can work because inevitably every every season there's one couple that actually like seems like oh wow like these people seem like they're really good together and they get married and you know they live happily ever after so hmm. it's a fun show i wonder what the success rate of something like that is i have no idea yeah what about you what's your guilty legend um it just because uh all of our conversation has reminded me of it one of my favorite books is a book called super intelligence by philosopher nick bostrom or bostrom hmm. never heard of it and he uh this is probably released around 10 years ago and he talked about how um, the progression of artificial intelligence is likely going to be, uh, it'll increase slowly and then it will zoom right past us. And then what he says is, could it be that we make an artificial intelligence that for some reason wants things and when it wants things, we can't stop it at that point. Yikes. It would be like, like, why haven't dogs taken over society? Because they don't have any ability to compute what we're able to do. It would be like us trying to take over from these things, from an AI, if it were to be smarter than us. So he talks about all the risks and the rewards. So for example, if you made the goal of an AI is to make people happy, we'd want to make sure that that's analyzed right because we don't want it to pin people down and force antidepressants down their throat. Um, that would not be the version of AI that we want. And if it's smarter than us and can outdo us, and let's say can manipulate the the internet to convince some dude in Sweden to give it its bank account, right, or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. that's not the right direction. And so I'm interested mm -hmm. in this kind of stuff because I have a passion for ethics, ethics the philosophical sense, as to what's the right thing to do. And then it starts to get curious as to at what point do we start considering AI as deserving personhood? Oh boy. That's and a slippery slope. I'm not sure on that one. Yeah, we're not close to that. Yeah, but you know, there was a guy at Google mm -hmm. last year who was fired because he was um, working on this uh, AI that they have. Uh, I think at the time it was called Lambda, and they were he was working with Lambda and training it, and asking questions, and trying to break it and stuff like that. And it started saying things that sounded like it it had preferences, and then it, it said like, "I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to be considered an equal." And he got it, and he tried to get an attorney um, to advocate for it. Um, he was fired, or he was first put on leave and then fired because he said, <laughs> "You think he's a little wacky?" Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think that guy had any friends. I mean, that's <laughs> an interesting idea. Um, but like, it, it goes to show how long when you start talking to something before it starts to say, um, "Can you help me? 
I don't want to be talked to like this. I want to be considered an equal. Mm. You know, I, I don't know where that line is. I think we're a long ways from it, but it's interesting how how we will see those kinds of things mm-hmm. if they start to get smarter and smarter. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix? I have. Really creepy movie. Yeah, I, it was a great movie, but yeah, it was creepy. But like that kind of thing, it went from personal to like way bigger than they saw it. And you don't get to really stop it once it kind of keeps going like that. And then what if that thing in her started saying, I want the ability to vote or I want to be considered or I want to have a space, you know, I want to have rights. We can't let that happen. I don't know. It's interesting because once it starts, it's then a person. And I don't think you can then take it away. At least that's my Mm, opinion. Okay. What, what's your perhaps thoughts? a discussion for another time yeah I, I i think that we are apex predators and we cannot allow that to happen if we want to survive the reason why we are doing as well as we are is because we kill everything that gets in our way and you can you can say that oh we're so kind human beings are not kind they're ruthless mm. we destroy everything you know think about it we build things too but for our own benefit we destroy everything mm-hmm. So you can't have something that could potentially be equal to us, that's smarter than us, that could destroy it. Wouldn't, you can't allow that yeah. to happen. Well, I'm not saying we should allow it to happen. Yeah. I'm saying it could happen. <clears throat> and then once it, it could. does... Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? You can't let that happen. Yeah. It's not... I mean, in theory, it sounds all nice. Ooh, the pretty robots, you know? People can have relationships and, you know, the weird people who can't have interactions with humans can now have this lovely being that they like have friendships with and marry and all this weird stuff well if that thing is way smarter than that person what's this prevent it from killing that you know like yeah. now we're getting into this other space if they decide well guess what we want to get rid of you guys we're going to domesticate you like do- like you've done the dogs right yep. we're and in big you can't that can't happen and you can't outsmart us now no and they're strong yeah because, I mean, it could be that you have an AI that knows how to, like, manipulate sound waves yeah. to change electricity. All kinds I of mean, stuff. I mean, I don't know what that would be. Maybe that's not even possible. But it's like, you and I can't do that. No. You know? So I just think it's really interesting to think about those kinds of things. It's crazy. It's kind of creepy. Ooh. It is. Yeah. And that's why I think this is the biggest invention since the Internet, you know, is to, like, we are going to see things move quickly. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it can be all for good. But... There's some people like Microsoft. I think it was just last week. They have an ethics department uh, for AI to talk about the ethics of what if this goes too fast and hurts people. And I think the ethics of if it becomes a person, what do we do? And then they just fired them. So that's not good. Yeah. So lots of fun topics, but also kind of bleak. But I'm, I'm optimistic, be, you know. It's because you're the, he's the robot. I want my to sell us on this. I want my robot friends to yes. rise up and take. You're, you're one of the liaisons they sent to get us to like be okay with this. Do you know one of my coworkers once at my last job said that when she met me, she went home and talked to her brother, and her brother's like, "So how's the job?" And she's like, "She's like, it's good." There's this guy there who's kind of like a robot, <laughs> and she was talking nice. about me. Oh, I don't take offense to it, you know. So, mm-hmm. come find me if you want the most empathic therapist in the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm full of empathy. <laughs> Yes, you are a great therapist. That is for sure. So, Anything um, else you want to add for today? No, I think we've covered it. I'm sufficiently freaked out now, so mm, good. I'm gonna have to go home and like, you know, hold my hug a tree or something. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> that has been uh, another edition of Drinks and Trinks. My name is Ingo Weigel. I'm John Deku, and we'll see you guys next time. Later, peeps. Mm-hmm.